0: All right, guys, so I've come to a very, very important decision in the last few months of being, you know, uh, in quarantine and thinking about a lot of things, and that is uh, Van Halen sucks. (laughs) I, like, they're not good. All they had going for them was Eddie Van Halen, and he only could play one type of music. Uh, Yeah, that's just, that's my big takeaway from... uh,
1: yeah, they've got a i remember hearing like a really good guitar solo um one time and it was just an instrumental track and it was like that was van halen with uh, blah 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 and i'm like oh that was good because i've never liked van halen's song mm-hmm. before in my life uh and i'm inclined to agree with you graham cool and with that
0: it's death by video <laughs> Here's a
2: movie you never seen the map
0: is There'll be smiles, there'll be tears, you won't watch a movie for about 8 billion years It's time for death, by video, time for death,
2: by video, and now the show will begin I'm Phil
0: I'm Kit And I'm Graham, welcome back so we're back from our extended hiatus uh, during the pandemic and and everything else that's been going on. And we're back to talk about another wonderful horror film. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, which was initially considered to be the third and final entry in his Living Dead series, but uh, then was only they, seen as... They made like, more. Yeah, they made more. They made uh, Land of the Dead and then, a pre- then two prequels, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. Um, but today we're focusing on Day of the Dead, which was the 80s oh, entry. Land of the Dead.
1: Hmm? Land of the Dead. Did you say Land of the Dead? Yes. Uh, I think yeah. I said Land of the Dead. I might have forgotten. Yeah, you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. All yeah,
2: right. All right. What a, what a movie to uh, bring us back into the fold. Uh...
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a film that I've I realized I've been enjoying and watching for over 20 years now. Wow. Um, and it was... So the interesting thing about Day of the Dead is that, like I was saying, it was the third part in George Romero's Dead series, and for a long time, it was considered a disappointment because mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead was the groundbreaking original, the shocking black and white classic. Dawn of the Dead was a party, basically. Like it was, you know, it was it was still scary and it was still uh, disturbing, but it had a sense of humor and fun. It was this big Technicolor romp. Uh,
1: Critical success, too, didn't it? Didn't, uh, oh, yeah,
0: sure, sure. Yeah, and, and that's part of the reason why, why George A. Romero was able to get a budget big enough for, down, for Day of the Dead. is So he made Night of the Living Dead, which unfortunately made a lot of money, but not for him. He then made two smaller pictures. He tried to make There's Always Vanilla, which didn't really do anything. He made uh, Season of the Witch, which didn't make any money. He made The Crazies, which did okay, but it was a very low-budget film. And George Romero personally doesn't think it's very good. But interestingly enough, Richard Liberty, who plays Dr. Logan, a.k.a. Dr. Frankenstein in Day of the Dead, first worked with George Romero on The Crazies. Oh, uh, okay. Been a- it's
2: been a while since I've watched The Crazies.
0: Yeah, so he, he's one of the main characters of The Crazies. And then George Romero made Martin, which was a critical success, and kind of put him back on people's radars, because he had basically went from being, making a big splash with Night of the Living Dead to going back to largely being a regional filmmaker. And so Martin was successful enough to entice uh Dario Argento to reach out to George Romero and his producing partner at the time, Richard Rubinstein, and be uh is it Richard Rubinstein? I think so, yeah, yeah. 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 Who's the guy that produced the beastie Boys? Rick Rubin. Yeah, Rick not Rick, Rick Rubin. Rubin. Richard Rubinstein. Uh they reached uh Dario Argento reached out to to Romero and Rubinstein and said, hey Night of the Living Dead is such a good film. It's good to see Martin. You're kind of getting back to your roots of horror. Have you ever thought about doing a sequel to Night of the Living Dead? And George A. Romero at the time had just taken a tour of the Monroeville Mall, which was the first large indoor mall of its kind in the mid-70s in Pennsylvania. And he decided this would be a really interesting place to set a zombie movie. So he did it. Dario Argento put up some of the financing. Dawn of the Dead came out. It was a big smash. It actually made tens of millions of dollars which for a film that cost five hundred thousand dollars i think or six hundred thousand dollars is a huge windfall especially in 1970s money
2: oh yeah sure uh
0: he then made martin or sorry not martin he then made night riders which was like a, a passion project for george romero which it's a weird film uh but it also was successful it wasn't a smash like uh unfortunately we live in an era now where a movie is only considered successful if it makes a billion dollars but you know, Knight Riders made like I think like six or seven or eight times its budget back, so everybody was pretty happy.
1: Got uh, a young Ed Harris in that, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. It was Ed Harris just before he was in the right stuff. And Ed Harris and George Romero like maintained like stayed in touch. Like they've uh, they like worked together like they were I think they worked together on the Tales from the Dark Side and maybe Creep Show. But then uh, after, after after Don the Dead and after Night Riders, George Romero and Stephen King teamed up to make Creep Show. And Creepshow was a hit. Like it made money for everybody involved. Everyone was thrilled. And at this point, George Romero got into the idea of like, hey, every ten years, I'm gonna make another zombie film just to comment on the era we're in. And by the time 1983 had rolled around, uh George Romero realized the eighty the seventies are completely over. This new Reagan era of the United States has come in. This pro military, rah-rah, um, you know, America is back has come into the forefront so he's going to make a film to comment on it and he wrote what was essentially going to be the gone with the wind of zombie films <laughs> but the issue the the issue was Richard Rubenstein was producing again they were still like he still had the the producing partnership with Romero but the issue was the R rating so let's let's talk about ratings for a, for a moment here Uh, When the rating system was introduced in the 60s, we went from the Hays Code, which was very restrictive, which uh, prevented pretty much anything that could be considered controversial content in a film, to the MPAA creating the the initial rating system, which was G, PG, R, and X. Mm. And the one thing to point out here is that the X rating was never intended to be meant for pornography
1: because pornography mm-hmm.
0: was still considered illegal. The X rating was literally just meant to be for films that children under no circumstances should have been admitted to.
1: Because R was, uh, if you're 18 and under, you just need a parent.
0: Exactly. It 17. Was like,
1: yeah, 17, yeah, 17 and under. Yeah. yeah I would yeah. go Bram Stoker's Dracula as a young teen.
2: Yeah. White. Yeah, the Ontario rating system is draconian in its own way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, but the one thing that... And so that's how, like, for instance, Midnight Cowboy got the X rating. There were lots of films. uh, A Clockwork Orange Orange received the X rating. Many films received the X rating that would still get released and still get promoted. The issue was in the 1970s, specifically the late 70s, after pornography had had uh, had had its peak with Deep Throat, somebody in the pornographic industry realized that the X rating was not copywritten. All the other ratings, G, PG, and R, were copywritten. However, the X was not. So all of a sudden, in order to get pornographic films into more mainstream theaters, they would just slap rated X. So therefore, it's a rating. You can market it. Uh, And then that, of course, led to the triple X rating. But like even at the time, um, Dawn of the Dead was rated X for violence. And they just decided at that point in 1978 and 79, when it was released, that already the pornographic industry had tainted the X rating because they'd already gone up to triple X. So like this is so bad, it's rated triple X. Did they, they even do double X? Did they even
1: stop at Double X?
2: They just they just skipped the double X and just went yeah. straight to triple X.
0: Yeah. It's Quintuple X. Your eyeballs will rot out of your head if you see this. So George Romero, who had been playing around in the R-rated world for a while, he wanted to he going knowing the type of film he wanted to make and knowing the hurdles of like, cause like when they looked at like, cause he wanted to have the same level of violence as night of the living dead and dawn of the dead. But knowing that the MPA was cracking down on horror films, especially in the 1980s, this is after Friday the 13th after mm-hmm. maniac after uh, all of those films that came out that kind of like went a little too far, especially the first Friday the 13th. I think the prowler, um, they were just cracking down on horror films, so George Romero decided, "I really want to go with a unrated film." And because the film is un- unrated, a lot of newspapers won't promote it, so therefore it's hard for people to find out about it. So they had to, they they lost a lot of their financing from uh, I think Laurel was the production company behind it or the distributor, um, and so he had to do a scaled down version. So as opposed to this entire encampment like basically like a small city living in the in the uh, in the world of the dead it just became this one military institution in a supply uh, cave or supply area so they scale he scaled back the the script to make it a little bit more concise and that's where day of the Dead came from so guys uh, have you guys seen day of the Dead before
2: I've seen it once in its entirety before I watched I think like about Maybe the first hour at your place like a year or two ago. Okay. But I don't think we made it through the whole movie. No. I think it was around the at the point where um where um what Sarah cuts dude's arm off. Yeah. I think we've talked about that Oh yeah, yeah. Which Kit, will, we, yeah. Kid, have you seen uh this
0: before?
1: No, this is a uh first run for me, Graham.
0: Oh awesome. Um were you uh, shocked at all by the violence? And I mean, like in a post, like Walking Dead world, like the violence. But
1: I do, I do miss blood. Well, here's the thing: you can see where uh, Walking Dead gets a lot of its zombie ideas is from these movies. And uh, of course, Tom Savini, the uh, the great Tom Savini, does the uh, the makeup and effects. I believe does he do the effects as well? Well, I know he does the makeup.
0: Um, he yes, he he does special effects makeup in for George Romero and Greg Nicotero. Was Tom Savini's assistant on this film, and he actually is now the executive producer and special effects master for *Walking Dead*, and he also directs a lot of the episodes. He also appears; he's he has a small role in the film as one of the army guys.
1: Well, uh, and yes. oh, anyway, so you can you can um, you can tell that *Walking Dead* gets its kind of inspiration from there because you've got really some really nar- yeah I mean, you've got your standard blue skin zombies that just sort of stagger about, and white skin zombies, you know, uh, pale pale white. Mm. Um, but um, you've also got some pretty gnarly, like, half-eaten zombies and some, some wild stuff going on. It's fun. Mm. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a fun movie. It moves pretty quickly. Um, and it also was the first time that George Romero kind of showed that maybe not all zombies are equal with the character of Bud played by Sherman Howard or Howard Sherman,
1: as he's sometimes credited. And uh, not to uh, jump too far ahead, um, but I believe – is this where Land of the Dead gets its – is there – because I know the whole uh, gimmick with Land of the Dead was that the zombies can use guns now. Um, are they like the descendants of uh, Bob? Is that the story of that one? Or...
0: Well, the, the whole thing that George Romero said is that...
1: Uh, I, never that together. I never saw it.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's that zombies basically have motor motorized instincts. So everything, even wh- the reason why they're slow and the reason why they stagger is that it's not because they learn to walk, it's reflex. So, and like even in... Um, in Dawn of the Dead, you'll see people still dragging around the things they wanted to buy at the mall, like, character, like, and it's, you know, George Romero basically says, like, it's not a one-size-fits-all. That's why he never, ever instructed anyone on how to walk like a zombie, because he didn't want everybody to walk the same way. (laughs) Just that Uh, one one guy, like, (laughs) goose-stepping. Exactly. Yeah, His direction for zombies was always just move slow. Um, And so... But the whole idea was that, yeah, like, logically, uh, if... But but Bub is smarter than the zombies from Land of the Dead because Bub can actually speak. Like, he actually says...
1: He does, um, yeah, at one he, point. But he Well, he sort of repeats, yeah. in a way. Just, uh, I guess that's what speaking is.
0: Exactly. Whereas in Land of the Dead, the zombies don't talk. They just kind of, like, motion. and they can... Nods, subtle
1: nods and gestures.
0: Oh, yeah, it's kind of like a... Uh, like, nodding and pointing. <laughs> And that leads them to, um, that basically like lead, allows them to to like strategically attack uh, a human compound because the zombies are are like starting to like regain the. They're like pathway. flanking
1: and stuff, and.
0: Not not flanking. They just know that like that's where the people are. Let's go get them.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I also appreciated uh, about the zombies is the wide variety of occupations the zombies seem to have. It's not just run-of-the-mill mm-hmm. uh, zombies in rags. You've got uh, I've written a few of them down here. We've got a clown zombie, a football zombie, a golf zombie, a cowboy. (laughs) Bride zombie, tuxedo zombie, which could be the groom zombie. Not sure. Um, We've got the fat cigar smoking zombie, the leisure suit zombie, uh, downtown zombie, housewife zombie, soldier zombie, of course, because we are dealing with soldiers. Um, Broken arm zombie, business zombie, um, vacation zombie. Mm -hmm. Lots of zombies. Well,
0: that was George Romero's thing. He wanted it not the thing is he wanted the zombies because his whole thing is that the, the zombies are us. Like that's the whole thing. It's like, so he wanted every zombie to have its own personality. And so that's like, you know, people, the whole thing was that you might be out playing baseball. There's the infamous baseball zombie in *Don of the dead where like the guy is still wearing the glove on his hand. Um, and in this film, like, yeah, the the clown zombie is of course, like, but yeah, the guy would have been a clown. Like you mm-hmm. would have been at a kid's party. On yeah. On the job the golf zombie, like you would have been coming back from a golf game or something. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, and that also kind of lays the groundwork for in land of the dead, where there's like, um, they show, they have this great scene in land of the dead where they show what the zombies are doing when no one, when humans aren't around, when there's no one to eat. So they're just kind of like recreating what they would do in their past lives. Like they the main zombie in, in land of the dead is a gas station attendant. And so there's like also zombies who are in like a, a marching band or something. So like they might still have like a, a trumpet like stuck in their fingers
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that that was that was George Romero's thing like he always wanted to make sure that we knew that this is not like these aren't like a, a marauding force or like this is this is us that we're we're staring at ourselves which I think is something that Walking Dead has lost a lot of because the zombies in Walking Dead they're all just gray. it's just a mass of like dusty guess- people in rags
1: Yeah, I guess the idea is that now that we're, I don't know how many years into it, I guess the zombies, like the more colorful things would Mm -hmm. decay and you would just be kind of left with a bland, dusty zombie, probably.
0: Not in Romero's world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The original script for Day of the Dead started with the line, it's been six years since the dead first walked. Because Romero wanted to show that like society would fall apart fast. Like it would be, it wouldn't be like, you know, certain governments would survive it would be like everybody would be over and done with like pretty soon and then max brooks uh he expanded upon this uh in his book um World War Z which got turned into a terrible movie starring Brad Pitt but the book is wonderful and he discussed how he's like it wouldn't be zombies that would cause most of the deaths in a zombie apocalypse it would be lack of access, like uh, it would be overflowing um hospitals and emergency rooms and all of a sudden you can't take care of everybody. Uh, without doctors, if you broke an arm, that could kill you. You know, Stepping on a nail, that could kill you. So it wouldn't be the actual zombies that would do it. It's the overtaxing of other resources, which is, a cur- of course, the current fear with yes. the coronavirus pandemic. So, Phil, when did you first see Day of the Dead?
2: Oh, whoa. a handful of years back. It was probably... Probably, I guess, in my late twenties or so, okay. I rendered it from my guest suspect and watched it on DVD. I was, hmm? there was a DVD. It was like probably like an Anchor Bay release and. Um, I was disappointed by it initially. My might have done like complete 180 since then. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, a lot of people felt the same way yeah. about it, where- it, it,
2: it. It left me cold initially. I was also like the tone shift, tone shift was very jarring because I was sort of expecting, you know, especially coming from like Dawn of the Dead, this sort of like the satirical element, the humor, and that's not there in Day of the Dead, but that's okay.
1: Everybody's very angry in this movie. Just angry all the time. Very angry, yeah. (laughs) Everybody's on edge.
2: Well, well, George Romero... It's it's so confrontational from the get-go. You see, like, these just complete uh, troglodyte, uh, monstrous military guys. And uh, they really really establish... uh,
0: Yeah, well, that's... And that's the thing, like... The nature of the movie. George Romero said that, you know... Dawn of the Dead is basically, you know, it's the Bee Gees. Like you come out of it singing and dancing. Yeah. Whereas like in the eighties, like, you know, you had the AIDS crisis that was springing up. You had mm-hmm. the, re- the recession of the of eighties the as well in North America. You had, which I mean, granted it would happen in 1987. So a couple of years after this film came out, but you had this whole movement towards, and also just like the, the deification of the military, you know, Rambo <laughs> first blood part two had come out. Um, maybe maybe by this point maybe not you know rocky won he beat the cold war um there was a definite a definite shift in the politics because when george romero made dawn of the dead you know you had jimmy carter was president yeah the bgs were number one in the world and people were feeling a little bit more better about themselves like maybe things are going to be okay like you know weed is not the enemy then all of a sudden in the 80s the war on drugs hit uh ronald reagan is president the military is king you know we're gonna win one for the gipper or whatever and so it kind of reflected his interpretation of things which is odd because during the first part of the 80s like people it wasn't really until 87 88 when the the wall street crash happened that people started thinking maybe this decade wasn't good like in the early part of the 80s it was like go 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 mtv van halen
1: oh it was um, morning in america it was reagan's whole totally problem. yeah um,
0: it was the go-go's it go, was go
1: into debt No, we don't have to do any austerity just spend as much as you like that kind of stuff exactly so yeah
2: i, I think in retrospect people are like oh maybe it was the iran contra affair but like that did not affect uh reagan's ratings people didn't care about that i guess it was the wall street crash
0: yeah yeah it was it was like that's what i mean and even still like reagan got his second term and then he got a third term when george h.w bush one in uh, i think it was 88 right yeah it was 88 when he won so yes yeah, so it's, it's a different time things aren't as sunny um although the opening of the film is quite sunny which was shot in florida which was the first time any of the dead films were shot outside the the pittsburgh area so they flew to florida to shoot that big shot with all the zombies walking down mm-hmm. the street um and uh we get a great moment we like we're introduced to like Tom Savini's great work uh, with the Doctor Tongue zombie, as he's known, he's the zombie with no jaw.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's a great, great title card. Yeah. and by the yeah. way, thank, I took a picture of it. Yeah. Anyway.
0: thank God that it's been remastered for for eight a- in HD now because watching that on VHS, it was just you you didn't see any of the detail or the effect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I should say I first saw this on uh, on a V. It was on VHS in 1999. When uh, my buddy, John Manley, who he, um, he made a dub of it for me. He got Day of the Dead on VHS remastered just before they started doing the the DVDs, but they they re-released Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, the unfortunate Night of the Living Dead special edition, Evil Dead, Evil Dead Dead 2, Army Darkness, all the horror films, even all the Halloweens they were releasing. But, um, but he, so I got to see uh, basically a, a, a bootleg version of the Anchor Bay VHS release, and that's when I first saw it, and I was just like, "Oh my God, this is nuts! It's so intense, it's so long, but it's only 80 like five minutes long." Um, also, in that opening shot, there's the infamous uh, the Dead Walk newspaper.
1: Yes, Kit. Well, just point of order, it does actually open with a uh, a dream sequence, a fake. Fold right. open, yeah. Fold open, yes. There you go. That's what they're called in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just our main character, Sarah, um, yeah. in a room with a calendar that says October with all the dates crossed out mm-hmm. and then the dead's arms come through the walls and she wakes up and yeah. she's in a helicopter. Yeah.
0: And, uh, Sarah is played by Lori Cardill, who, uh, is the daughter of Bill Cardell, who appeared in the original Night of the Living Dead. And, she looks, a uh, uh,
1: real Linda Hamilton vibes.
2: She kind of reminded me of Catherine Bigelow a bit.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, but again,
2: two ex-wives of James Cameron, coincidentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) His name is James Cameron, the bravest
1: pioneer. No budget too steep, no sea too deep. Who's that? It's him, James Cameron. Systems are normal. You guys hearing the song okay up there?
2: James Cameron, explorer of the sea.
1: Yes, James, we hear the
0: song. Descending to 1,000 feet. I don't see the bar yet. Looks
2: like it must have sunk pretty low. With a dying thirst to be the first. Could it
0: be? That's yes, him, James Cameron. How many ex-wives does James Cameron have now? He has like four, right? Something has, like that. He has the first wife that he kind of abandoned. That was the one with his kids. like was
1: When he was a trucker in Northern Ontario?
0: Yeah, yeah. He had a bunch of kids, then he just split to go volunteer for Roger Corman. And then it was Catherine Bigelow. And then Linda Hamilton, and then the girl from Titanic that wasn't uh, Rose McGowan. Uh, Not Rose McGowan. Um, Kate
2: Winslet. (laughs) Kate Winslet. Play a character named Rose, but not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Lori Cardell. Her father was Chili Billy Cardell, who uh, was the horror movie host in Pittsburgh uh, throughout the 60s and 70s. So, and that's like, it's interesting because she basically, uh, it was a family connection, but she also. Uh, went to where did she go to school? I think she actually went to Carnegie Mellon, I think, which is the same school that George Romero went to went to um, so she that 's the opening scene uh, The interesting thing about that opening scene is that because there were so many zombie hands blindly reaching out, they basically had her husband be at a certain area so that he could reach out to like not in case someone got handsy but just in case someone inadvertently Touched her, groped, groped yeah. her basically groped her in a certain area so like he would reach his hand out to block that area um and then yeah she wakes up in the helicopter which has landed in this small this city and um at that point it's the character of i think miguel is his name well uh mcdermott is the is the irish guy in it who by the way he's like 39 in this movie
1: yeah he looks way older than that right? Yeah, he's one of these Shakespearean actors that always winds up um, doing this <laughs> sort of B-movie stuff or Star Trek or stuff like that.
2: They always get yeah. into Shakespearean actors. Yeah, he's a... Well, am Jar- sure there wasn't water in that flask. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so his name is Jarlath Conroy, and outside of Day of the Dead, he is basically mostly well-known for appearing in uh, the Coen Brothers remake slash readapt adaptation of... Um, Oh my gosh! I'm drawing a blank. The one uh, with Grit? the hmm? yes, True Grit. He he's has in that? A, yeah, he's in True Grit. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he's also joined by the character of John, the helicopter pilot, who uh, played by Terry Alexander, who's basically best known for One Life to Live. The
1: he um, was clearly uh, not actually Jamaican, but yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But a pretty good fake Jamaican accent, I must say.
1: I'll leave dialogue written for him that just makes it hammy, because he's always no, like, I, I just sure. want to be Man" and stuff like this. It's like, yeah. what's <laughs> yeah. Kind of
2: like Lance Reddick on Oz. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, the character of John, who gets called uh, Flyboy in this, in an homage to, uh, to Flyboy from, from Dawn of the Dead. He's played by Terry Alexander who was best known for a long-running role in the 80s on One Life to Live. Um, I think this is pretty much his biggest uh, theatrical film role. Uh, and it also he also con- t- continues the, the tradition of George Romero having strong African-American roles in his films.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing is that on Land of the Dead, uh, because it was a studio production, he wasn't able... He w- basically they told him you can't cast a black guy in your lead. And so he then made the lead zombie African-American. So that was his, his way of getting around it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, uh, and then who else runs out our crew here? We've got, Oh yeah. We got private McGill, uh salazar who is he's kind of sarah's boyfriend but
1: not Uh, really yeah army guys definitely seem to think that that's what's going on and they are sharing a room together but i'm Mm -hmm. never it's never quite i'm never quite certain if they actually do have a relationship they do
2: seem to have some sort of relationship Mm -hmm. that's the impression i got.
1: yeah she does get very upset when you know she has to chop his arm off and such
0: yeah so they call out, hello, is anyone there? Because they can't get anyone over the radio. They take out a megaphone and call out. And this wakes up the zombies. So we see zombies coming out of the bank. We see large um, alligators coming out of, uh, coming out of areas. Uh, we see a zombie in a movie theater the ticket booth. And we see the infamous newspaper with the title The Dead Walk, which got homaged slash ripped off in, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's Resident Evil movie. At the end of that, they, uh, the one shot in the original Resident Evil movie that was in Toronto, uh, was downtown on, I think it was Wellington. And they have, uh, the camera pans by a newspaper that says the dead walk. Although when people asked him like, Oh, like that's a cool homage to day of the dead. He's like, Oh, I never heard of it. Um,
2: Okay there. Okay,
0: W.S. Anderson. Um, it's almost like Paul W.S. Anderson like chose that specific look for his name so that if someone doesn't look at it like closely, they might either see Paul Thomas Anderson or Wes Anderson.
2: Yeah.
1: Paul oh, Wesley Anderson.
0: Yeah, all those guys. Um, so, uh, we basically, re- they realize this is bad. Um, even John, like the like helicopter pilot, Pilot says you can hear the zombies over the engine and then they go back to the military base where they're hiding out, which was actually shot in uh, Philadelphia or I was outside Philadelphia and uh, it was very cold underground. It was basically a uh, not a nuclear bunker, but an area for records and microfilm and important things for, for the government and for businesses that wanted to be protected in case of natural disasters. Although and the area was actually very cold. I think it was about five degrees Celsius at all times uh, underground, and and also very humid. So it was very like they uh, it was very hard to work. The cameras kept uh, breaking down, and they shot. They basically didn't see daylight for like six weeks while making the movie.
2: Eesh. So
0: I think that kind of aided in their performances. And this is where we meet the rest oh, sure. And this is where we meet the rest of our characters. We meet. Um, all the military guys, led by Captain Rhodes, who's played by Joseph Pilato, who uh, actually was in *Dawn of the Dead* for five minutes playing a, an unrelated character of a police officer. However, he got cut out of the theatrical cut. It's only in the extended version that he's in it. And the funny thing is, he complained that, like, for his entire career. Even though I started in Day of the Dead, people just kept asking me about Dawn of the Dead that I was in for five minutes and got cut out of the main, the version that was actually released.
1: It, it's funny you say that because he was also in um, a Pulp Fiction. As like one of the waiters, as like one of the um, gimmick waiters, like he's Buddy Holly or somebody like that. No, well, Steve
2: Buscemi was Buddy Holly.
1: One that's not Steve Buscemi, then. I can't remember.
0: odd. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he wound up like after being in day of the dead, like we wound up doing the whole like B movie role as well. I think he was also in, what was that movie by that guy? Uh, let me look it up right now. He, oh, he was also in effects, which was a film. Oh, effects. Yeah. yeah.
2: Brian Dennehy. And Brian. no, no, no,
0: no, 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 not F X E F F E C T S. Oh, okay. So that film is a slasher film from 1980 that was set in and around, um, a film set that Tom Savini was working on. Uh, he was also in Night Riders. He was an Alienator. He's in Pulp Fiction as Dean Martin. The Dean Martin, Dean Martin yes. He was also in, the... yes. oh, sorry. Go ahead. He was in Empire of the Dark. That's the film I was thinking of.
1: He was also in a movie called Married People, Single Sex, which I'm sure I watched on Showcase, like Late Night Friday or something like that, hoping for some nudity when I was too young to be watching movies like that. And I think he- it did not deliver. hmm despite having a title called Married People Single Sex.
0: So. Yeah, it probably was not, probably a big letdown. <laughs> he was in the first Wishmaster film, and he, uh, one of his last roles was actually in Night of the Living Dead Origins 3D, which was the run of Night of the Living Dead films that people made in the late aughts up until about 2015, where they're just like, Night of the Living Dead's public domain, so we're going to do any remake of it we want, uh, which is how Sid Haig wound up in the, uh, the Night of the Living Dead 3D remake, which was just awful 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 um so we meet our military guys uh which they're includes. all
1: like total assholes
0: Yep. there's private steel private rickles uh john Amplis plays dr fisher the technician he was the star of martin yeah and he also has a cameo in dawn of the dead at the start is one of the um the the quote-unquote revolutionaries in the um in the projects uh and tasso uh star of Vat-Kiss, who, is a, who was a stunt performer and also Tom, Tom Savini's assistant on Dawn of the Dead and all the special effects, plays uh, Private Torres um, slash, Ro- wo- slash knock-on-wood zombie slash biker zombie. And then Greg Nicotero plays Private Johnson, uh, who is one of Rhodes' men. He's the guy with the beard. He is the, the stoner guy with the beard. And yeah. Jorge Romero even makes a cameo as Zombie with Scarf, uncredited. Oh, and the, uh, the, the country rock band NRBQ has a cameo in the film as well.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. They cool. were big fans of Dawn of the Dead, and so they actually like came to set and got made up as zombies for the film. Nice. Um, interesting fact, the people who portrayed the zombies in this film, they were paid, <laughs> because it was a non-union, uh, you could get away with non-union zombies back then, you were paid a dollar, you, you were fed for the day, and you got a copy of the newspaper, The Dead Walk. And you also got a hat that says, I was a zombie in George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. would be worth it. Yeah. Yeah, a sweet picture. gig. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a rite of passage for a lot of people in Pittsburgh to be a zombie in a George Romero film throughout the
1: 70s and 80s. We could have done it in Toronto. It was a brief little period. He was doing a lot of stuff here, wasn't he?
0: But unfortunately, the, the acting union in Toronto forbades, you You cannot have a non-union performer... Uh, playing any character with any sort of special effects makeup. In, ah. in, uh, George Romero even said himself that the zombies have unionized. Um,
2: From what I recall, I think they were looking for a lot of extras when Snyder was filming Donna, the Dawn of the Dead remake here.
0: Yeah, but that might have been like far background stuff so you might not have actually yeah. been wearing anything Minimal or makeup, any special maybe. effects.
1: Yeah. Like apply your own just...
0: Mm-hmm. I don't even think it was that. I think it was literally just like standing and just to fill out crowd shots in the background. Oh, just swaying, okay. Yeah, we just need you to fill things out. Um, so we meet, uh, we learn that the previous um, lieutenant has died and now Captain Rhodes is in charge and everyone is kind of concerned because Captain Rhodes is a psychopath.
1: Yeah, and yeah. the other guys are like, they're just like Joker's henchmen, like giggling psychopaths as well. It's very frightening Uh, kind of. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: Well, the interesting thing is that they were shown as being over the, everyone said they were being over the top, but Tom Savini, who went to, who was in Vietnam, basically advised them like, when there was downtime and you're just bored out of your skull in a place where you can't do anything, there's no women, there's nothing, you tend to lose your mind and go crazy. Um, And they even point, even in the uh, HBO series Band of Brothers, when the Americans are still in France after the war has ended, they like lose their mind, start driving drunk. Like it's just, it's that thing where it's like if you're in a live or die situation and then all of a sudden you're just told to like sit still and be normal, you kind of lose your head a little bit. Um, And this is where we also meet Dr. Logan, aka Dr. Frankenstein, played by Richard Liberty. Now, his approach, uh, we should point out, Sarah is a scientist, so is uh, John Amplis' character, uh, Dr. Fisher. And Dr. Logan is also a scientist and they're all working on, Sarah's looking at like a cure or kind of a, a catch-all thing that could be distributed and just wipe out zombies <laughs> worldwide. But Dr. Logan is looking into how do we actually control them? How do mm-hmm. we take this? So he has like taken yeah. zombies and removed their all their internal organs that would, uh, the stomach, so that there's no need for them to eat, but they still want to eat. And then he's even like, Basically, taken apart a body completely so that it's just a brain on a stem.
1: I love that the brain stem one was cool.
0: Yeah, that he can control.
2: And yeah, he's kind of like, a pragmatist in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, we have a zombie apocalypse. We have mm-hmm. to live with the zombies somehow. We're not going to yeah. eliminate the the zombies, mm-hmm. so we yeah. just have to live with them. If we can figure out a way a, to control them,
1: a precursor to a uh, Fido, the uh, you know the Billy Connolly movie. Did anybody see that one? No, no. That's just the uh, the whole concept is zombies have been around so long that they're now like you, they're trainable. You can you can take one home as a pet, have it in your backyard. Um, you know they've been defanged and stuff, and and they're they're not really a threat. They can just kind of be there as a house helper.
2: Mm-hmm. Is hmm it
1: being bad. Yeah.
0: Also, in this scene, this is where we get our first big taste of gore in the movie when the zombie who has had an autopsy while strapped to a table, breaks his strap, rolls over to the side, and his guts just spill right out of his body onto the floor. Uh, Uh,
1: An important plot point is also revealed with the brainstem zombie, who mm -hmm. is actually the deceased, uh, the ex-Major Cooper, the guy who was formerly in charge and who recently died. And uh, I guess the doctor has decided to use his corpse uh, for tests, which the army would not approve of. No. We would think we learn
0: there's a lot of things that that the doctors that Dr. Frankenstein is doing that we wouldn't that the army wouldn't approve of, um, and also this kind of plays off of um, the there is a a doctor on television in Dawn of the Dead that says that hey the zombies only eat it consume about five percent of the human body what what do we do with the other ninety five and like the TV host is like you're suggesting feeding them and the doctor is like well yeah what else would you have us do. And it's kind of like, that's like the, how do you get around the situation? So, uh, so yeah. So Dr. Logan has kind of lost his mind a little bit as well. He's kind of like gone crazy. Um, other issues. Yeah. Oh, and, and father issues and, and everything in between. So, uh, and this is playing off in the original script. They were further along in their training of zombies. Like they'd actually figured out a way to like have a response where they would have zombies that would have like, uh, basically shock uh, collars on there where they could like hit a button. And they were each teaching zombies how to like load weapons and fire them with the thought being like, oh, we can use these to go out and hunt down other zombies and reclaim the land. Um, but in this one, we only have Bub and who is just chained to a wall and basically uh, just Dr. Logan's pet for the most part.
1: Who's the actor that plays Bub?
0: That's Sherman Howard, aka aka Howard Sherman. He's probably best known for his episode of Seinfeld. He played um, so he played Elaine's ex boyfriend, who was the starving artist who wasn't starving. Oh yeah, that she wanted to get rid of him. Yeah. But then she she got back with him after he lost weight, and then when he, cause he but then when everyone thought he was dying. Uh, George bought all of his paintings thinking the price would go up after he oh, yeah. <laughs> then he survived, started gaining weight and, um, exactly and uh, yeah so that's probably where he's best known for I think he's also appeared in Law and Order as a, as a skeevy lawyer he's, it's interesting, his approach to Bub was that he was a Vietnam veteran who uh, came back from Vietnam, went to university and became a poet basically and so that's how Bub understood the salute. That's how he understood how to use a gun. But that's why also he had almost a docile reaction around Richard Liberty's character. Because there's that so great... Kind
1: of soul. he likes the classical music.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and Stephen King's Salem's Lot.
2: You're paired with...
0: <laughs> yeah. But the effects on Bub are just amazing. Like when he, he takes the, the razor blade to try and shave with, like you see like little bits of his skin flake off. Um, And yeah, like Tom Savini really wanted to, even though Dawn of the Dead is fun and great, like the individual zombie appliance makeup in that wasn't spectacular. It was just a lot of like, we have two people, uh, that's the entire makeup team, let's just paint all the zombies gray. Whereas in this, he wanted each zombie to have its own uh, look and also like just to see like, you know, some of them have yellowed, some of them have turned blue, some of them have turned white, some of them have turned gray. Um, He used like thin latex on everybody's face to give it kind of like a saggy look, like the muscle had like started to
2: deteriorate underneath the skin it's really this awesome is, this is really maybe the only movie of its era where that benefits from uh higher definition you could see all that viscera up close
0: yeah and like that's that's the thing like the the good yeah you you don't it's, see the um the seams with high definition in this
1: one mm-hmm. like when they, they like they pull a dude's head off, like the zombies attack one of the soldiers and pull his head off later in the movie. And it's yeah. just pretty seamless looking, even though. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. I know Thomas Savini worked really hard on getting the heads, right? He had also had, so when he did a uh, creep show, that actually was the first time he did like full on um, effects build. So like he built a whole, he built the creature of fluffy for creep show. So that gave him the confidence to go in and build heads and arms. Um, but he was still using what he liked to call magic tricks. So for instance, later on in the film, when uh, Miguel gets his arm cut off, how they did that so effectively was they showed the real arm, they showed a real machete. And then they, when they brought the machete down to cut into the arm, it was rolled latex. And actually the first time they did it, the the, uh, the machete went down and just bounced right off the arm. So they actually had to like, rework the arm a little bit make it a little bit more easily to cut and so uh, she brings it down and we see it go into a latex fake arm and then when it cuts to a different angle now the machete has like a piece taken out of it and it's his real arm so we can see the arm moving as she's like pushing down on it and then finally when she like gets through you see a fake arm being like swept away and then it's a stump that they use so like it was a lot of like combination of like that was Tom Savini's big thing. He's like, you have to establish some things real before you start going into the fantastical or the over-the-top with, with special effects. So you have a real machete, real arm, real machete, fake arm, fake arm, real machete, and that, or fake arm, it's real arm, fake machete, and then eventually fake arm, fake machete, or fake arm, real machete again, so that there's always something real in the scene to keep the viewers subconscious telling them that what they're seeing is real. Um, yeah, the effects in this are just gruesome. But uh, but so
1: where do we go now? So basically, roads. Oh, con- yeah. Oh, sorry. But what are they? They're doing what we kind of established. What they're doing there is they're in these caves, and what they'll do is they'll go out and they call these the zombies. They call them dumb fucks. That's what the uh, the army guys call yeah. them. Well, they call them a bunch of stuff: uh, fish brains, scumbag,
2: something or right other. Puss. Yeah, puss. Pus.
1: brained bags of shit. There's a lot of colorful, <laughs> uh, colorful terms of endearment that are thrown at these zombies. Um, and they, they basically corral them. Yeah. This is where Miguel really proves himself to be a total pain in the ass. I, I don't know what Sarah sees in him. He's, uh, he's terrible at his job. He's testy. He's, he's moody all the time. Um, mm. And um, when he has to, he's like, no, give me it. You're, you're not, you know, he, he kind of agrees with Steele that he should be the one to uh, mm. corral the zombie. And then he totally fails at it uh, and almost gets somebody killed and does get somebody killed later on in the movie. Yeah. Sorry, I
2: should. I guess rant. he's having some sort of mental breakdown. Like, sort of is. Yeah.
1: Or... Well, the stress has gotten
2: to
0: him. You know, he hasn't slept in like three days, which is why Sarah has to, to you know basically like give him a sedative to force him to fall asleep.
1: Yeah,
2: he's basically... after he smacks her.
1: Yes, exactly. See, he is at the total pain in his, pain in the ass stage of um, I guess whatever he's going through psychologically. Yeah, and uh, well, it can't be that much fun
0: no not at all so after he's sedated we meet captain rhodes who like again joseph Pilato owns this movie he is so good in that role even though you hate his guts like every time like even the way he's walking around with like six shooters on his belt it's like oh yeah
2: he's a real charismatic tyrant he's got the
0: superman spit curl as well Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i actually uh i i learned he was in pulp fiction because i looked him up i was sure i'd seen him in something before it wasn't that i don't know what i've seen him in before probably some episode of some tv show
0: yeah he's bounced around
1: he's a guy that seems familiar yes um but i love uh, an italian guy from boston which is an interesting type of guy i hadn't considered (laughs) italian
0: from boston that's right it's fascinating um so we basically learn that they're going to call a meeting because now Rhodes is in charge of everything. And so even Frankenstein has to attend, which is what prompts Sarah to go talk to him when we meet when we meet Bub the zombie. Uh, this is where we basically sort of learn that Frankenstein can kind of talk Rhodes into, he could talk Cooper into anything, and he's pretty sure he can talk Rhodes into stuff too. Um, the, all the scientists are civilians, we should point out. And so is the radio operator McDermott, who is the drunk Irishman uh, who's 39 in this movie, despite the fact that he looks 65.
1: <laughs> Come on. He looks 51.
0: Maybe. When he showed up in true grit, I was like, Oh my God, it's McDermott from day of the dead. How is he still alive? Um, <laughs> 30 years later. Um, and, uh, and, and so they, what happens next guys? Fill me in.
1: Um, so this is uh, this is the lunch scene. This is the tense uh, lunchroom scene where she won't sit down, and Rose yeah. is like, "I will kill you!" And then I'll he turns to shot. his own men. Um, It's a real psychopath kind of, very bad vibe type situation going yeah. on. Um, but the doctor waltzes in, and he's cool as a cucumber, and just kind of demands food and and gets everybody to sort of chill out. Well,
0: and that's the thing. Like he's, um, I love that scene where Joseph Pilato is like. You want to teach him tricks? What the F are we doing this year? McDermott doesn't have radio equipment. You don't have, uh, like, we're running low on supplies. I'm running low on men, for Christ's sake.
2: And Sarah's, like, saying straight out that it could be years before they see a cure, and then Frankenstein pitches his research. and Yeah, which is to control them. Which is
0: fascinating. Um, and he
2: really holds his own with these, you know, these sc- screaming blowhard psychopaths, and uh... yeah,
1: because he's already lost his mind as well. Oh it? sure, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> also something
0: uh, in some of the criticism—not uh, not criticism of this movie, but film criticism in general—that discusses this film. They talk about the undercurrent that was missed at the time, which is that basically Sarah is the only female character amongst all these men. And the entire film, the reason why a lot of people the first time they watch it are are uh, not a fan of it is because there's that undercurrent that a rape is pending. Yeah,
1: it's got a very rapey vibe.
0: Yeah. Um, and luckily, George Romero is one of the filmmakers who actually didn't just throw in sexual assault for callous exploitation meanings. I actually don't think there's any sexual assault in any of his films. Like, his films are very... Um, there's man-on-woman violence. Like, I mean, he's still... Well, like, yeah, that's true. But that but the thing is you're not with you're not supposed to like be with that guy. Like no, he, of course. He's clearly doing it bad. And it also it's it's not done for a salacious it's not done salacious. No,
2: but nevertheless. It's...
0: Oh, I know it's there. I just I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's there. Um and I think he handles it it a lot better than a lot of other filmmakers from his era. Oh
2: for sure, absolutely.
0: Yeah, he's no Wes Craven. Um <laughs> but not a dig at Wes Craven, just good God, the last house in yep. the law. And so basically Richard Liberty, a.k.a. Dr. Logan, convinces Rhodes that he needs more, more specimens to work on because he's running low. And so then they have to go out and get some more zombies. And this is where the mm-hmm. infants implements... Now, I can't remember. When does. When do we meet Bub? Um, it's around this time.
1: Like um... I mean, when, do, when do the military guys meet Bub? Oh, when, soon after Sarah first meets him, like uh, he's introduced, uh, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then the military sort of wanders in. And that's when we get the whole gun scene. Could you unload your gun, sir? And then pass it to me. And then blah, blah, blah. And he does that. And uh, we establish that the zombie remembers how to load a gun or at least check to see if it's loaded. He knows how to yeah. point it, knows how to fire it.
0: But yeah, so uh, Sarah and, uh, and and Fisher are watching, or is it Frasier, Frasier are watching Dr. Logan basically interact with bub and like he teaches him how to turn the um put the headphones on and play the music and listen to it and so but then that's where sarah brings up the one thing because uh, dr fisher says like like so what like these guys all like all the zombies tend to recreate things from their past lives he said i saw i saw one trying to drive a car down the Santa Monica <laughs> highway i, I love that want it, part yeah i wouldn't want it living next door to me and she points out it's not what Bub is doing. It's what he's not doing. He's not reacting like with hunger or aggression to the presence of Dr. Logan.
1: Bub is very chill. He's a very chill zone.
0: Mm-hmm. Probably the best of the bunch. And then that's when Rhodes storms in. And this is where, you know, this is where Richard Liberty is like, see, this is good work. Like we can actually like train them to do stuff. And this is where the whole thing of like, where Bub tries to salute captain Rhodes. Cause he sees his rank and <laughs> Captain Rogue says, salute my ass! Yeah, you want me to salute this walking bag of pus? Yeah. So it's it's pretty... It's it's fantastic. So, uh,
1: then we go... Everything falls and, to shit pretty much right after that. I've yeah, written it in my notebook.
0: Yeah, it's now that... We'll
2: also go, because mm-hmm. we haven't finished the gun scene, because uh, Frankenstein asks... Um, 'Cause drunk Irishman, I guess, hands uh Frankenstein the gun with deep yeah. bullets and Yeah. And then Bub pulls the trigger mm-hmm. on um Well he cocks the gun cocks and then the he points gun. it
1: at Rhodes and pulls
2: the trigger. Trigger.
1: And then when nothing comes out, he checks to see if it's loaded. He, yeah. So
0: Yeah, he's learned it and it's uh <laughs> it's 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 terrifying to see that to see that happen i mean i think it's george romero sure. just kind of like flipped the script on what his zombies could do because i mean also this is an era of george romero knockoffs too there's been so many knockoffs of dawn of the dead and night of the living dead that he's like saying like no 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 like oh,
2: yeah
0: he's like you think that there are rules to this the rules constantly change um and then this is what leads to the sequence of them getting more zombies from the uh, from there. Like they have a like a, an area deep inside the um, the facility where there are zombies like left, but they're like caged. They're uh, they're walled Kept
2: off. In yeah. Yeah. They're like
0: mining for zombies down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of. So, and this is where Miguel is now back, and he ba- basically uh, it's not There's his that- fault, but. The, the strap on the zombie that he's holding on to breaks and it kills, uh, it, it basically like rips the throat the out of... Zombie. Sorry?
1: The, the hippie soldier. I said zombie.
0: But I yeah. The hippie soldier played by Greg Nicotero. And this is where he gets his throat ripped out, just gnarly as heck. Um, and Steel, the uh, the big marine uh, army guy, shoots him and tries to kill, uh, whatchamacallit, tries to kill... Um, Miguel. Miguel, and then this is when Miguel gets bit, and so this yep. is where she runs off to go to.
1: Oh, we forgot uh, that uh, one of these nights where um uh, the the Irish guy uh, maybe it's the uh, uh, just a bit earlier. uh oh. he passes her the flask. She drinks a bit, and then he invites her. He's like, "Come back to the RV," and it's uh, this whole place that's called I forget
2: what the it's Ritz. Called.
1: The Ritz, yes. Yeah. And then um, the uh, the Jamaican guy has it all kind of decked out. as like a beach area with a beach backdrop and like mm-hmm. chairs and he's in his shorts. Um, I, I know, well, I love this. That's where takes Miguel back to at this point, but we forgot to establish it.
0: Yeah, well, well, let's discuss that scene because there's a lot going on there. Like I really, really loved John basically saying like, you know, they've got tax returns. They've got the box office hits of all your favorite movies. They've got microfilm with everything on it you could ever want. You know, what does it all mean in this great big tombstone? And when he calls out tombstone, it echoes and you can hear the zombies mm-hmm. in the distance. They're always there. And I love the, the scene where John says, like, you want a reason for you're trying to figure out what's going on. You're trying to figure out a reason. It's like, we're, you know, there's a curse upon us. Like we're being punished by the creator. Like maybe God didn't want to see us blow, blow ourselves up. Maybe there was just too many of us. Or maybe he was just tired of us trying to figure his shit out. And I love that line. Um, and he's like, you want to start fresh? We go somewhere new. We go find some, you know, beach, soak up some sunshine, have some babies and teach them to never come looking for a
1: place like this with all these records of humanity in it. Um, and then- Vera so, takes exception to that at first. She's like, you would do that, wouldn't you? You just abandon everyone and blah, blah, blah. He's like, man, he I says, would do that before the zombie apocalypse.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So now we're back with Miguel. Like uh, Sarah's brought Miguel here. He's got a bite, and he basically to the, to the ritz. He basically gets knocked out by John or McDermott. And this is when they're like, "All right, we're gonna have to amputate the arm." So Sarah cuts the arm off of. This is the machete gag that we were talking about beforehand. Cuts the arm off of him, sweeps it away, and then I think it's either John or McDermott that like creates a torch and cauterizes the room and burns it.
2: Yeah, it was Sarah that, uh... Oh, right. the wound.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the army guys show up, and Rhodes is like, you know, we're gonna kill that guy, and basically John and McDermott both pull weapons on him, and it's gonna be a showdown. But Rhodes is like, whatever. I've seen a thousand of them. He'll turn just like everybody else turns.
2: Yeah. And And they're hurling a bunch of racist slurs as well.
1: Oh, Oh, yeah, they get pretty racist.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, they, uh... They're not the kindly, friendlier uh, military of the Oliver Stone movies. Um, so then basically this is when uh John, McDermott, and Sarah decide, let's get the F out of here. And so she goes back to uh to get some medical supplies before they hop off in their, their helicopter and take off. And uh she runs into Frasier and they're kind they kinda watch um uh, there's also a musical sting from Dawn of the Dead. The, the Gonk, the song that ends Dawn of the Dead, has a musical callback when uh, the army guys lock the zombies in the dark in a room. And, uh, and so basically, Sarah and Fraser are hiding in the dark, watching Dr. Logan interacting with Bub, and Bub again does some other stuff. Uh, I'll, also, we should point out before, when Rhodes meets Bub for the first time, that's when Bub says, hello, Aunt Alicia, on the phone.
1: Oh, yeah, he does the whole phone thing.
0: That's yes. His. Yeah, say, hello, Aunt Alicia.
1: Hello, Aunt Alicia. This is when uh, Rhodes is like, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, and so at this point, they, they see that Richard Liberty is feeding him, feeding Bub something, like, in a can. It's like, is that dog food? Like, what is it? Like, because earlier in the film, they're trying to, like, train a zombie to eat, like some mystery meat or something, and the zombie wouldn't do it. But Bubba's chowing down on this. It's and... like
2: just internal organs.
0: Yeah, and so <laughs> both uh, Sarah and Fraser are like, oh, my God, he can't be doing it. And then they turn around to see, oh, no, the
1: military's there. And what happens from here, guys? Um, shit hits the fan. As soon as the uh, military realizes what's going on with the uh, feeding of the zombie, they uh, look in a room, and I guess there's some dead soldiers that uh, have been chopped up a little bit, some recently mm-hmm. dead soldiers. Um, they mow the doctor down. And he does that thing where he gets hit with a machine gun, but, like, stays standing for a bunch of the bullets. I don't know if that's real or if
2: it's Yeah, real. it's Rhodes that pulls a trigger, you know. Like, he just loses his mind.
1: Like, yeah. Like that.
2: Explodives fly. And,
1: and then uh, they kill they kill Frazier as well, don't they? They, no, a little bit later. Um,
2: yeah, at, like a couple minutes later.
1: Rhodes is like, all right, we're getting out of here. Um, we got to get the you know Jamaican guy. He's the one who's going to fly me out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's uh, – we're going to do that. Uh, we can't afford to fit all of you, obviously, on the helicopter. Mm-hmm. He keeps on telling them. Uh, so he's got his hostages. They go to um, where Miguel – I don't know if um, – they go to the Ritz. Is Miguel right. still there? I'm not sure. He no, kind of he makes He snuck sense. away. And like, yeah, he snuck away. That's thing right. Is, the odd thing is, like, Miguel
0: basically has gone fully, uh, like, I always watch this movie thinking, like, oh, Miguel knows that he needs to create a distraction so they can get away. But yeah. no, Miguel doesn't know any of this. Like, he just goes full kamikaze. Like, I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah. Pure nihilism from Miguel. here mm-hmm. on <laughs> Sneaks up to the surface,
1: unlocks the gate, lets all the zombies outside the compound oh. in. I forgot to mention the gate. Um, well, first, they you know, they fly into the compound. This is at the start of the movie. I'm pretty sure there's wheat plants growing. The army is... Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Explains the hippie uh, soldier. But the gate is hilarious because it is the flimsiest trigon gate, like with one of those, like, I don't know. Pad, it's it's
2: big, like a padlock, basically.
1: <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a hundred zombies outside, and they're already almost knocking it over, and the army's like, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. And they never break it
2: down. Miguel no, like it's just the so chain and padlock. And, and, yeah,
1: yeah, it's a chain cheapest.
2: link fence.
0: <laughs> well they well, they, do, they do say like if there's two if, if more of them show up just go off and shoot off a bunch um, and so Miguel lets them in and then he puts them on the big platform and starts to lower it Now we should also point out that like um,
1: uh, well uh, but, but that's happening but a bunch of stuff has happened yeah. uh, concurrently so let's mm-hmm. go back and explain that
2: and Miguel sacrifices himself to the zombies while he's lowering down the uh,
1: so control. We, so they get back. Uh, Miguel's gone. He's gone on this journey. We don't know what he's doing yet, though. And the threat is, all right, you're going to get me on that helicopter. Um, these people aren't coming, but I will kill them here in front of you if you don't. Uh, and uh, is it John? John keeps on saying John. he's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Rhodes is like, test me, and then he shoots Fraser in the head. Right. Um,
2: and and Fraser is also testy with Rhodes for uh, killing yeah, Frankenstein. And. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah.
1: Then then shit gets real. So then they put um, um was it McDermott and Sarah in the stocks, kind of where they capture the zombies, where they mm-hmm. kind of caw them, and open the gate so they're going to get attacked by the zombies who are in the, the zombie mine there. Yeah. Um. But they do
0: lo- but they do know that there's an old missile silo at the end. Like they have to go all the way through this cave
1: filled with zombies to get to the missile silo. And meanwhile, love- John, it's like, I'm not, well, you, you're doing that. I'm not going to help you. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking. I'd rather die than fly you out of here. And so they send steel to go beat beat the shit out of uh, John. Um, I don't think that works too well. And then the elevator stuff happens.
0: Well, what happens is John manages to knock out. Well, One of them. They, oh yeah. Well, no, like Rhodes basically tells someone, because they hear the the large platform with all the zombies on it coming down and Rhodes tells someone, go check it out. Uh, check out, and then uh, basically John uses this distraction to punch out Rhodes and another um, another what you call army yeah. guy and at a certain point, John is going to like kill them like he points his guns at him, and then and then he decides i 'm not going to do this i 'm not this isn 't worth it and so he just goes because he 's not a killer he 's not he 's a civilian, and that even in this world of the dead, you can still find acts of mercy, even though
1: Things so things, they might, yeah, I would probably, I would have taken, taken him out, I think. He I mean,
2: manages to disarm Rhodes. And, yeah. I mean, Rhodes still has a bunch of his ammo,
1: but, you
2: know. <laughs> find another gun somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: my favorite thing is, that, so then John follows them, follows the, uh, after Sarah and McDermott into the stocks to try and find them and basically just leaves the fence open so the zombies can wander in through two different parts of the, um, through two different parts of the, uh, of the, of the compound so they're coming down
1: from up top and in from the cave and mcdermott meanwhile he's just with a plank of wood has uh beaten a path through the zombies yeah <laughs> yeah to the, to the silo yeah um so good for him he actually yeah. picked up a shovel at one point too it's a pretty gnarly uh
2: oh yeah like the zombie gets the uh, top half of his head uh
1: and
0: again that's that's like real shovel and then they cut a hole in the shovel when he's like so he basically knocks the zombie down and then Stabs it right into the mouth to like yeah. bisect the mm-hmm. head. But then and they have that
1: cool effect where the head is upside down, just the top of the head
0: he's still moving. The eyes yeah. still look, yeah. There's also a, a very spooky Halloween store bat creature, bat at one point that flies through and it goes tweet, 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 tweet. I always have to laugh oh, at that because it's, it's, it's like something you would find at like, you know, Dollarama's Halloween section. Um, and then basically, John catches up to. Um, catches up to uh, McDermott and Sarah and he like uses the last bullet in the gun and then just throws the gun away. And then they get to the missile silo. And I love how they get to where the elevator is. And McDermott just looks at it and goes temporarily out of service. And I just love that, that line. Cause it's just like, in all, it. yeah. And all this situation, the, uh, it's like an Elmore Leonard novel. Like we've got to the elevator, it's out of service, crap. So then they have to like climb all the way up.
1: um, Meanwhile, by the way, we should point out all hell is broken loose. The soldiers are being uh, dismembered and torn apart in the gnarliest of ways. Yeah. Back at the base. And um, Old Rhodes even finally meets his demise. Although, so a few things like steel. Mm -hmm. So Bub is loose with a gun. He's got a gun. Well,
0: What happened is they basically reveal that Bub, even though he's wearing chains to a wall, because he's so chill, the chains weren't actually attached to the wall. Mm -hmm. So he's able to walk free and then he finds he gets a gun, and dead he dead finds friend.
2: Frankenstein. He's racked yeah. with grief.
0: Yeah, yeah. Bob uh, is very sad to find Frankenstein's dead body, and he takes a gun from the corpse of a um, of a soldier, and just starts going looking for Rhodes because he knows Rhodes is
1: behind it all. And Steele is going to kill him. He's uh, like, "I'll teach you, you dumb fuck. I'll teach you how to shoot a gun." But then he gets taken from by. He goes into a room and he doesn't check it first. And it's yeah. Cool. Um, and then yeah, Rhodes is, I don't know, terrassing around the top of the building somewhere.
0: Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to get out because like he leaves he leaves uh, his men behind when he hops into a golf cart to like oh, I
1: right. love that. He gets on the golf cart and just zooms out. Yeah. Uh, he could wait for one of them to catch
0: up. And, like
2: and I- Steel's like swearing at him. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Steel gets eaten. We see one of the like we see the head get ripped off and like the head is still screaming like I one of them guys, still screaming like you see his vocal cords stretch out and as the vocal cords are stretching the scream goes
1: goes like gnarly as well and rickles um, too when the zombies get a hold of him like one of them digs rip- a thumb i guess into his eye socket and his eyeball pops <laughs> out and it's pretty gnarly so i
0: i know like i yeah. love lending this movie to people and not warning <laughs> them about how, how brutal it gets but again, I'm like, also like in this world of post Walking Dead, like, is it that brutal anymore?
1: It's not. It's not more shocking than seeing Glenn get his head deep. uh. Like, um, oh, no, Phil is frozen. Phil, are you there? Just see his smiling face.
0: I know. Let's pause until he comes back. Okay, so we're recording again. So they get to the top of the missile silo. Well, and then- Rhodes, how, how does Rhodes meet his end? Oh right, so Bub encounters Rhodes, and Bub starts shooting at Rhodes and actually does pretty good. He hits him a couple time times, and then Rhodes realizing this is pretty much the end. He's like, "Come on, Bub, come on, let's do this." And Rhodes gets to, and like this is the moment of like the first time I saw this movie when I was like 14, it scared the hell out of me, but this moment made me laugh when Rhodes opened up the door. <laughs> there are just like all the zombies there like, surprise and um, <laughs> And he
1: goes, ah, and he turns around and then Bub shoots him one more time. Well, it's an interesting idea that um, we're, we kind of uh, were to understand that the zombies just do things by sort of muscle memory, just kind of like,
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, the concept of revenge that Bubs gets here for his fallen friend is mm. more sophisticated than just muscle memory and just kind of reflex. Oh, so yeah. Brings up an interesting um, idea, I guess. I, I'm not sure if George A. Romero was doing that intentionally or not. He probably was. He was, yeah he he was he was an ideas guy like that's
0: he always said like the most difficult thing about pitching a movie was anytime you go into pitch to, to Hollywood because he would have the idea for like what's the the idea of the film and they'd be like so who are the characters and he's like well I don't have that yet like that's something that'll come be born out of the um out of the movie not, not it'll be born out of the writing of the story it won't be born from just like it's about this guy who does this thing. He and he moves to Chicago and, and hosts a radio show in the afternoon or something. So um, Rhodes also gets totally disemboweled by zombies here. He gets ripped in oh, half yeah. completely. His stomach gets ripped open. All of his guts come out.
1: And he, like, sees it as it's happening. It's like William Wallace in Braveheart. He has to look at his guts being torn out from his body. Yeah.
0: And then he utters the immortal lines, choke on him, as they're eating. <laughs> them.
1: You hope, you would hope that you yeah. have the presence of mind to yell that at the zombies eating your uh, eating your innards.
0: But so we, yeah, so Rhodes has been eliminated and then Bub just wanders off into the distance. We don't know what happens. And our heroes, uh, Sarah, John, and McDermott reach the surface of the missile silo and they see like zombies have gotten in, but there's still enough time for them to run to the helicopter to get away. And they do. And like they they utter that immortal line like, is the fuel full? It's like, well, they were supposed to do it last night. Hopefully they did. And so they get into the helicopter. Sarah gets in the helicopter. She opens up the door, and then, ah, a bunch of zombie hands grab her. But then she wakes up on a beach, and she's ready. Out-
2: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And then she's writing out a new calendar, and it's November 1st. So the Day of the Dead is officially over. And credits, and that's the movie. That's Day of the Dead.
1: bum yeah, so, like, I was expecting one of those helicopter guys to get eaten uh, as they were making the retreat. I was like, all right, so which one of these guys is going to go? And then it turns out to be a dream. I thought that was kind of just, I guess, a bit of a cheat uh, ending, but that's fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Didn't sort of resolve the uh, the thing. It was like, oh, and that, that little part was a dream. Like, obviously, it wasn't all a dream. I get it, but it's eh, kind of a cheap ending, but I guess they had to end the movie. Well,
0: yeah, that's that's the thing is that the the movie came to an end, and yeah, that was that was our ending. And like I like I like Romero's endings because like they don't cure the zombie outbreak, they don't find a way, they don't even really go to anywhere super safe. They just show people them hanging out on a beach fishing and waiting, and hopefully they're gonna be okay. In the original script for Day of the Dead, um, towards the end of the movie. They run uh, the character of Sarah, who's not a, a doctor. She's like someone that, uh, that, that encounters the, uh, the military compound, which is much larger and much more. It's pretty much an entire like, town. Um, she, um, they, at the start of the movie, somebody gets shot and just left for dead. And then when they come back later, at the, towards the end of the movie, the bodies are still there and they haven't resurrected. So it's kind of like, oh, is the zombie plague coming to an end? Like, Are the dead going to stay dead now? So it's interesting. I would have liked to see what would have happened if George Romero actually got to execute his vision. Granted, there's a bunch of stuff in in his script that I'm like, I'm kind of glad he didn't film. Like he basically just showed this world is uh, the the world in which the uh, the Captain Rhodes rules over it with an iron fist as as like debaucherous and awful. And like, there's basically like the Like if you live on the surface, which is more exposed, it's basically a tent city and you're more homeless and like destitute. Whereas if you live underground in the compound, you're one of the more elite. So it'd be fascinating to see what would happen. Okay. So Phil is back. Um, So guys, final thoughts on day of the dead, Phil, go ahead.
2: I love this movie. It's, um, it's just a great slow burn. I love the conciseness of it. It's a, it's a bleak view of humanity. You know, it's obvious, but yet impeccably executed like the gore effects are flawless basically and I guess I have a reservation about the music, which is you know like a significant step down from uh, the goblin score of, uh, yeah. Dawn of the dead but music like done by John Harrison apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I,
0: I've come around on it. I like it now I like the score.
1: Okay. I kept on thinking somebody's phone was going off. <laughs> I was like, do they have cell phones? Here. <laughs> it's um, just the score.
2: Yeah.
1: It, it is weird that there was an actual
0: film, uh, like an actual song called Day of the Dead in the end credits.
2: Yeah. It, yeah, it's kind of like an 80s pop out.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very much of its time. Yeah. Speaking of of its time, do you know what other films came out this, like within a week of this movie? Ghostbusters. No, that was 84. This is 85.
2: Rainbow so, First Blood 2?
0: But, but, uh, I think so. But also, Back to the Future, wow. Return, of the, Return of the Living Dead, and okay. Reanimator. So, wow. the people All were. Zombie movies. A lot of, yeah, people were zombied out in 85, especially like Reanimator, Return of the Living Dead, both comedic takes. Yep. Um, I mean, the film opened strong. It opened in number three, but Back to the Future was just on a wave that summer, and it just crushed it. So and then, of course, in the last season of Stranger Things, the film, the season opens with the boys sneaking into a screening of Day of the Dead, which I was very pleased to see. They like said, like, oh, we're going to see um, um, Back to the Future. And then they sneak into Day of the Dead. And I was like, yes, that's good. Uh, Kit, what are your final thoughts on Day of the Dead?
1: Uh, I liked it, Um, uh, the gore, the makeup and all that stuff, uh, top notch, uh, nice tight little storyline, you know, not too complicated, Um, good, uh, enjoyable sequences and set pieces. It was, I felt a little like, I don't know, a little cold. It's a little angry at times and and left me a little cold, I guess in that sense, but it has things that make up for it. I don't know, thumbs up for me.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a reflection of his time. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Like It's part of like, it, along with Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead,
1: Martin. Uh, I do have a question. Yes? I know when I worked at Blockbuster, there was a Day of the Dead to Contagion, I think it was called.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this shit. So Richard, <laughs> Richard Rubenstein, when George Romero and him split up, Richard Rubenstein bought the rights to Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead from George Romero, allowed, but gave George Romero the rights to keep making dead films because Romero just wanted to cash out and move on. And so Richard Ruben, like that's why like currently Dawn of the Dead isn't uh, available anywhere right now, which is a big pain in the ass. There's no good high definition version of Dawn of the Dead in existence um, because he's holding on to it because he made a 3D version a few years ago that he spent millions of dollars on, and he wants to, to have a big theatrical release to earn his money back, which is never going to happen. So in 2005, he sold the rights to a sequel called Day of the Dead 2, Contagium. Uh, And it's by definition, a official sequel, which is gross. Um, And that's a movie that nobody wanted to see. Nobody did see. I never saw it. Uh, It's for some reason has to deal with the Russian military Um, and it's not like the entire world is taken over by zombies. It's just like, hey, there's these weird patches of outbreaks, blah, blah, blah. And then there were two remakes. So the first remake, which was released uh, after the success of the Dawn of the Dead remake, came out in 2008 and starred, um, it was directed by Steve Miner, who you'll remember from directing Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3, as well as Halloween H2O, Lake Placid, and uh, the film Warlock. But... This film starred Mina Suvari, Nick Cannon, and Ving, and Ving Rames. Although Ving Rames did not reprise his character that he played in Dawn of the Dead. This film was again another, like, the zombies are
1: rising. Sorry? The Ving Rames character in uh, Dawn of the Dead died, I believe. No, he didn't die. No so I've
2: seen
0: that one. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically like, hey, there's a zombie uprising. we got to shut it down. Then they made another one in I think like 2013 um, after the success of World War Z. But, um, but this film went really nowhere al- also. Uh, it's called Day of the Dead Bloodline. I don't know anything about it. Um, although, interestingly enough, uh, before the global pandemic in March of 2020, the Sci-Fi Channel in the States ordered a 10-episode season adaptation of Day of the Dead which is supposed to be premiering next year on the sci-fi channel. I don't think that's probably going to happen with the global pandemic that's happened because they haven't been able to shoot it. So I don't know. Like, yeah, this is a film that's been remade twice, had a sequel done. I think there's also a prequel at one point coming out, but yeah, like you can't touch the original at all. It's, it's the, morning
2: of the dead. What the morning of the dead, the early morning of the
1: dead. I thought the evening of the dead would be nice. You know, the twilight of the dead. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: the one of the original titles for Land of the Dead was going to be Twilight of the Dead. Someone, there you go. Someone suggested a name for a good zombie film would be Dusk of
1: the Dead. Dusk of the Dead would be good. Yeah.
2: Maybe Supper of the Dead.
1: Mm-hmm. We gotta we gotta go take a little trip out to George a. Romero's grave. It's here in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. I.
0: It is. I've I've visited. We should go. I should go again, though. We should go in and pay our respects
2: yeah that's a toronto necropolis right next to riverdale farm exactly does it
1: have a zombie hand sticking out of the
2: no you would oh, think
1: it's,
0: oh, come on that would be kind of cool it, it's a it's a very uh low-key uh headstone okay but i like it quite a bit i it was nice going out there it was very peaceful um but yeah and so that's day of the dead So guys, uh, we're gonna be back again soon with another episode. I'll see how long it takes me to edit this and get it up online. I'm gonna get this up this week, uh, and then hopefully we can go back to doing this weekly. And eventually, if the the coronavirus keeps dying off in Canada, we can maybe meet up in person to do this. Yeah. So for death by video, I've I've been. been Oh, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) For I've been Phil. I've been Kit. Uh, I've been Graham saying thank you so much for listening. Keep watching awesome movies. Good night.